Cross Point. The rest of us are going to take our outlines out. Today we're going to be looking at several scriptures. But the main theme, I guess if you were going to give a title to today's message, it would be how to get more from your Bible. You say, Bruce, is this going to be another one of those how-to sermons? No. This is going to be a message from the Lord. This is something every Christian needs to grow. Here's a word of the Lord for you. God wants you to grow. Amen? You must have food to grow. Amen? This is your food. Everybody hold your Bible up or your Bible app on your phone. Okay. Say, this is my food. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 2.2. Like newborn babes. Here, Church, cross point, desire the sincere milk of the... Word, God's food, that you may what? Grow thereby. God's word to you today is grow, and you're not going to grow without food, and this is your food. It's impossible to be strong in the Lord without the word of the Lord. And so you're going to get several words from the Lord today. You know, the Bible's the most famous book in all the world, yet so few people know what's in it. Most have no idea what it contains. They did a survey of a high school. Now, this wasn't a Christian high school. It was a public high school in Newton, Massachusetts, but they just wanted to see what kind of general knowledge they had, and they thought Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. Jesus was baptized by Moses, and the Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John, and the epistles were the apostles' wives. Even Christians say, you know, Bruce, I read the Bible, but I just don't seem to get anything out of it. Does that describe you? It describes a lot of people. So how do I get more from my Bible? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Well, first of all, I only have three points today. Point number one, it's in your outline. I've given you the notes already. I must accept its authority. Without that, you're not going anywhere. If you want to accept yourself as your own authority, the final say on the matter, big trouble. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 basically says this, believers get more out of their Bible than unbelievers. Why? Because we accept it. You ever wonder why your unbelieving friends just don't seem to get anything at all out of it? They've never accepted this as the final word and authority. We also think God can... Continually, because when you receive the word of the Lord, I told you this is not a how-to sermon. This is a word from the Lord, which you heard from us. You did what with it? Accepted it. That's why you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because you heard the word first. You never would have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you never would have repented of your sins. You never would have been baptized into Christ had you not done what first? 
accepted the word of the Lord. And you didn't accept it as the word of men, but actually as what it is, the word of God, which is at work in you. Did you know Billy Graham struggled early on in his Christian life as to whether or not this was really the word of the Lord? And it was bugging him. I think the devil was trying to prevent him from becoming the great man of God that he became. And it wasn't until one day, he, he said, I was reading this thing, and, and I could have gone either direction. But he made the mental decision to say, I am accepting this hook, line, and sinker, and I'm not looking back. And he said, ever since then, my ministry took off. Folks, you, you can play wishy-washy with this, and you're ministry, everyone has one, will not take off until you say, I'm accepting it hook, line, and seeker. The word of the Lord is mine. you got to accept this book. You know, everybody has an authority in their life, whether they realize it or not. I suggest you make it the Bible. Let that be your authority. Lots of people don't. Let me give you four unreliable authorities that the world gives. Number one, culture. If you let culture be your authority, you're in big, big trouble. Exodus 23, verse 2 says, don't do something. What is it? Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Have you ever had your mother say when you were growing up, have you ever got in trouble with a group of kids? I rarely got in trouble all on my own. I wasn't that creative. But I hung around with some real creative guys that knew how to get in trouble big time. I could tell you some stories. And your mother say, says to you, once you're caught, Bruce, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, I thought it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> uh, how could you do that? Well, I guess I just need a little help from my friends, and I did that. Well, if all your friends said to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of kid I was. But the Bible says, and this is what my mom was trying to get me to, when it comes to doing wrong, when it comes to following the crowd, following the culture, don't do that. It's going to get you into all kinds of trouble. Now, you know what? Following this book can get you into all kinds of trouble too, right? Because what does our culture say today? Does it agree with this book or not? So if my culture says, and we could do this with a lot of things, I'm just going to do it on one thing. Marriage should be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, and Bruce, you should perform that marriage. Is culture right or is this book right? But what if my culture says, but Bruce, you're being so mean-spirited. So bigoted, so narrow-minded. Well, my book also says, don't follow the culture in doing wrong. So if my culture says it's okay, and my Bible says it's not, what do I listen to, folks? My Bible. Now, that sounds so plain, so simple, so straightforward right now in here. But wait till you get out there, and you run into someone that says, well, you know what they're going to say. 
It's going to be hard. It's going to take out. You young people that go, are going to be going to college, you're going to be graduating soon, and you get out there in the real world, and boy, that culture is going to hit you right in the face. You better start toughening yourself up right now, and you better make a decision right now. This is the book for me, the B-I-B-L-E. That, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Settle that today because it's going to be too late when you get out there. Culture does not dictate. Number two, tradition does not dictate. The world, it's an unreliable source, but traditions says, but we've always done it that way before, and I know I've told you this story, but it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving time, and they're eating the Thanksgiving dinner, and the husband asks the wife, honey, why do you always cut off both ends of the turkey at Thanksgiving time? And she says, well, I don't know. My mother always used to do it that way. Well, why did your mother always do it that way? I don't know. Let me go call her. Hey, Mom, why'd you always cut the turkey off on both ends at Thanksgiving? She says, well, for years and years, my pan was too small. It wasn't a tradition at all. It's just her pan was too small. It was practical until they could afford a bigger pan. They cut the turkey off on both ends. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Our culture is going to want to get you to cut short this book and follow their way, along with the traditions of men. In Mark 7, verse 8, Jesus himself said, You have replaced my commands, or the commands of God, with the traditions of men. Okay? Now, I just made an illustration about the world. I want to make an illustration about what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about religious folks. Can religious folks turn the Word of God into a tradition that's not so good? You better believe you can. He was talking, look, look, look here at the text. Well, you have to look it up on your own. The text says, you have replaced. Who's the you in Mark 7, verse 8? It wasn't the church. It wasn't the ordinary synagogue, temple-going Jew. It was the Jewish leaders. They were the you in this context. And what had they done? They had taken the Ten Commandments, the ordinances, the, the, the law of God, because they didn't have a New Testament yet, they just had the Old Testament. The first five books of the Bible were the books of the law, written by Moses. And they had taken those, and they had read those, and then... They had written down what it meant. And then Jesus comes along. And one day he and his disciples were hungry. They hadn't eaten all day. They were busy doing kingdom stuff. And as they're passing through a grain field, the farmer obviously was a good Jew because the corners of the grain field were for people that were hungry and they could eat it at any time so he wasn't stealing. They all took a handful of grain that kind of crushed it as they're walking, and they ate it. And guess who saw them do it? The religious leaders. What were they out there in the grain field doing, watching Jesus? Jesus was under the microscope by these guys. They were looking for him to stumble and fumble. They go, ah, we got him on this one. The law says you can't do that. You no work on the Sabbath day. Jesus, you're in violation of the fourth commandment. And Jesus says, no, I'm not. What do you mean you're not? It says right here, no work on the Sabbath day. And he says, yeah, but have you not also read that the Sabbath was made for man, 
not the other way around. Man was never made to bow down to the Sabbath. It's a Sabbath principle, it's true. But when men are hungry, it's okay for them to eat. He doesn't expect you to go a whole day without eating. You can, and he says, and even, don't you know, when a donkey or an oxen falls into a well, do you not, on the Sabbath day, go out and rescue your donkey? Or Yeah, it's a good thing to do. It's all right. You are binding where I haven't bound. Well, okay, but one day we saw you heal in the temple on the Sabbath day. You did work. You healed on the temple. Well, you know what? That's not a violation of the law. Oh, yes, it is. Well, why do you say that? It's our tradition. It was a religious tradition. You just didn't do anything on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, well, that's not what that meant. Well, who are you to say what it means and what it doesn't mean? Uh, the author. <laughs> I wrote it. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Who's that? Jesus. Well, I don't know what I meant by it. I wrote it. Right? He's talking about traditions of man. Don't let tradition dictate what we do and what we don't do. Let the Word of God be your guide. Amen? Number three, reason. Well, I always thought. Big deal. You ever thought wrong? <laughs> sure you have. You know? Well, I've never seen God. Therefore, He must not exist. Really? You're going to go with that argument? Yeah, a guy told me that one time. I said, you ever seen an atom? No. You believe they exist? Well, yeah. They're in the science book. Well, God's in the Bible. I know it's not a science book, but there's no bad science in here. In the beginning time, God or our energy created force. The heavens, space, and the earth matter. That's science. Science says you need those five things for anything to exist. Found in the first verse of the Bible. Look at that. But they'll accept an atom they cannot see with their own eyes or even a microscope, but they won't accept a God of all creation. Proverbs 16.25 says there's the way that seems right. Oh, it just seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Be careful about those college professors, young people, that think they're so smart and so reasonable. Number four, personal feelings. Well, I've always felt. Now, there's a good guideline, right? You ever been wrong <laughs> with your feelings? You ever been sincerely wrong? I mean, you meant well, but you were wrong. There's this guy named Jacob. He had 12 sons. One of them's name was Joseph. He was sold into slavery. But you know what his brother said? He's dead. Took his coat of many colors, shredded it up, killed a lamb, put blood all over it. Obviously a wild man, or wild animal. Uh, it could have been a man, I guess. Wild animal. Kill this kid. Your, your son. He's dead. He wept over a lie. Was his son still alive? Yeah. His feelings said he was dead, but he was alive. Judges 21-25. I believe it because I feel it. Well, it doesn't say it like that. It says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They just did what they thought was right. I think, it, I think it's right for me to give you a hard right to the left jaw. That would just feel so good to me. Doesn't mean it's right. 
But, you know, that's the way the world kind of works. There's only one reliable authority for life, and it's not you. It's this book right here. It's not culture. It's not tradition. It's not reason. It's not personal feelings. Uh, actually, 2 Timothy 3.16 says it like this. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. The word inspired or inspiration means God breathed, the voice of God, the word of the Lord. And it's useful for what? Well, to teach what's true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and it helps us to do what's right. It's God's way of making us well prepared at every good point. Here's the word of the Lord on point number one to you. Accept the Bible as the final authority of your life. Amen? You accept the word today? All right. Number two, I must not only accept it, I must assimilate its truths. Well, how do I do that? Well, number one, this should be in your notes, by receiving it. By receiving it. Look at this. Uh, Next verse. Those on the rock are the ones who receive what? The word. Okay, so we're all about receiving this. How do we want to receive it? Grudgingly? No. With joy when we hear it. That's Luke. Now that word receive, it's an interesting word in the Greek. You know what it literally means? It means to welcome a stranger. To welcome a stranger. Remember when you first came to the Lord? This book seems so bizarre to you. (laughs) What's a Bible? I mean, it's black. I know it's something special. Bible just means book. But really, if you've been in my Bible class, you know that it's one book made up of how many books? Anyone in my class? Louder. 66. All right, you're good students. 66 books. Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament has five parts to it. We were studying that this morning in my Bible class. It's the Word of God. And uh, we are to receive it welcome it like a stranger. Because, you know, in the beginning, it does look like a stranger. You look at that thing, and it's kind of intimidating. And yet you say, Bible, I welcome you like a stranger. When when you meet a stranger for the first time, you don't know them that well, do you? But if you welcome them into your life, you start to talk about, you know, little things. And then the stranger becomes an acquaintance. The acquaintance becomes a friend. And sometimes that friend can become your closest friend. He's saying, welcome this book like a stranger, but welcome it to one day it becomes your best friend. You know it backwards and forwards, and you assimilate it and receive it into your life. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard, that's the word, so that we do not drift away. You know what you got to do in order to leave this book? Nothing. Just don't do anything, and you know what? You'll drift away. My cousin and I in San Diego, we went to a beach one time, we blew up a raft, And we paddled and paddled and paddled to get beyond the breakers. And we were so exhausted, you know, hitting those wave after wave after we finally made it out. And we just laid down for a minute to catch our breaths. And by the time we looked up, 
we had drifted about a quarter mile out, and we're going, whoa, the beach got way over there. How did we get away? We did nothing. We just did nothing. And, man, now we're paddling to get back in. We were afraid. You don't read this book, you will quickly drift away from it. You don't have to do anything to get away from the Word of God because you just drift. You know, we forget 95% of what we hear within 72 hours. That means by this Wednesday, you will, have only remember, you will only remember 5% of what I'm telling you right now. What a sad statistic for a preacher that spent so much time preparing this lesson today. <laughs> What's the best way to hold on to it? Take notes. I've given you an outline. Add to it. Write some things down. Here's the word of the Lord to you. Welcome my word into your life. The second way we assimilate God's word, we not only receive it, but number two, we read it. Reading God's word. Revelation 1 verse 3. Happy is the one who reads this book. You know, for hundreds of years, the only ones that were allowed to read this book were the priest. Did you know that? If you wanted to read it and you could read, you weren't allowed to. As a matter of fact, so they wouldn't be stolen from the big cathedrals. You know what they did with these things? They chained them to the pulpits. They chained them. They literally chained them so no one could read it and interpret other than the priest and those at the top. Those religious leaders that started traditions. And Remember all the things Jesus said about traditions? So they interpreted it for you. I believe that God gave Gutenberg the inspiration to invent the printing press. Because you know what the very first thing he printed was? The book, the Bible. And, and once it got mass produced, the common man could afford it. These were very, very expensive in the beginning. And once the common man started reading this book, you know what they discovered? They said, hey, what we're reading in this book and what they're preaching in that pulpit over there doesn't match. It doesn't line up. And a reformation took place throughout the land. Get into the book. You've got to read the book. Do you know that if you just took 15 minutes a day, you could read this thing in a year? That's all it would take. The whole Bible. I just brought my dagger today. Here's the word of the Lord to you. Have a daily quiet time. Oh, yeah, he always says that. I never do it. Too busy for a quiet time. Too busy. Then you're too busy. Word of the Lord, have a daily quiet time. Number three, the third way to assimilate God's word is by researching it. Uh, the psalmist will say in Psalm 1, Happy are those who reject the advice of evil men. Instead, they find their joy in obeying the law of the Lord. That's, that's just another word for the, the word. And they study it day and night. You know the difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible? You know what the difference is? When you study, you sit down, well, in the olden days, with a pencil and paper. 
today we use a computer and Google. Right? You can Google all kinds of things. You haven't really studied your Bible until you've written something down or you've printed it out on the printer that's connected to your computer. The secret of Bible study is just learning to ask good questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? You know? Uh, A good Bible student has similarities to a good detective. You research, you dig it out, you try to figure stuff out, especially if this book is brand new to you. Paul wrote a little book called Philippians. I googled it this week. Just uh, looking for an illustration. First thing came to mind, Philippians. And if you're a, a new believer, you might think, well, what's a Philippian? Oh, must be someone from the Philippines. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's someone from a city called Philippi. Really? Well, where's Philippi? Well, it's in northeastern Greece. i got a map here. And uh, you remember, Paul's traveling. Paul and Silas were doing their second missionary journey. And they're traveling all over Smyrna and Turkey. And, and the Holy Spirit kept, when they got to Galatia and all these different, this is their second missionary journey. They wanted to go visit those churches that they'd already been to. But the Holy Spirit said, no to Galatia, no to Phrygia, no to Pamphylia. No, 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 no. And they go, okay, we'll just keep going, going, going. And they're going, you know, all the way up to Troas. See that little dot called Troas? Paul and Silas are camped out on the beach. They can't go any further unless they get their feet wet. And they're going, God, what are you trying to tell us? You can just picture Paul and Silas camped out on the beach, fires going, maybe they're eating some fish, and they're going, (sighs) Silas says, Paul, Paul, what's going on here? We're trying to serve the Lord. Where does he want us to go? He goes, I don't know, man. Let's just finish dinner and go to sleep. And they go to sleep. And guess what Paul has that night? A dream. And what's he dreaming of? He's dreaming of this place across that little body of water called Macedonia. And there's a man from Macedonia saying, Come on over! Help us! We need the book! (laughs) We need the Bible! We need to be saved! And Paul wakes up the next morning, says, All right, Silas, get stuff ready. We're taking the very first boat to Macedonia. That's where God's leading us. And they stop at a little place called Neapolis, because that's a nice port right there. And just a, just, a, just a few miles away is a city called Philippi. Wow, that is so cool. It's named after who? I'll tell you, I know this. I googled it. The father of Alexander the Great. You're never going to guess what his name was. Philip. (laughs) Philip II, if you really want to be technical about it. But did you know that? This city's got some history to it. You ever hear of a guy named Mark Anthony and Cleopatra? You ever hear of a couple of guys named Brutus and Cassius? They were the assassins of a guy named Julius Caesar. Well, Mark Anthony uh, and another guy conquered Philippi. They made it into a Roman outpost but it was such a beautiful city, they gave it favored stat, stature, uh, status. There's the word I'm looking for. The people that lived in Philippi didn't have to pay certain taxes. 
They wanted to be a loyal city to Rome. And so rather than sending a whole lot of troops there, then he says, you know, we conquered you, we like you, this is a beautiful city, follow us, and you can live tax-free. We'll give you the rights of a Roman citizen in many ways. They could, they could go to court, you know, lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. Normally, if you're a captive city, you didn't have any of those rights. But Philippi had that. How did I learn that? Google. Google it. That's all you got to do. Philippi was the first city to be evangelized in Europe. That's a part of Greece. That's the, who were the first two converts in Europe, which we later would you know, be saved because the gospel spread throughout Europe. Europeans came to what? America, and we hear the gospel. Who were the first two, though? A woman named Lydia. Remember her? She was a businesswoman, sharp woman, uh, probably quite wealthy because she dealt in a trade of purple ink, which they would dye garments for royalty or people with lots of money. Your average person on the street wore white cloth. But if you had some status, it would be dyed in this purple dye. And so she was led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. Paul and company stayed at her house. She funded their ministry. But there was another guy. Ooh, not so nice. Probably a former Roman soldier who became a police jail, jailer kind of a person. He was actually the head jailer. Paul and Silas, while they're in Philippi, get thrown into prison. They take a terrible beating. And they get chained to the inner, uh, you know, maximum security of this jail. They're chained to the wall. And it says they're singing praises to Jesus. Everyone's hearing them. And, uh, the, the guard, if someone escapes, guess what happens to the head guard? He's put to death. And there's an earthquake, not in the entire city of Philippi, just at that prison. Talk about a miracle, huh? The gates are open, or the prison cells opened up, the chains fall off, the stalks are relieved from the Paul and Silas. It's pitch dark. The jailer calls for lights. And he realizes the doors are open, and he grabs a sword, and he's about to take his life. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. <laughs> Got some good news for you. Got the book. He takes them to his house, washes their wounds, and about midnight, this rough, tough Philippian jailer and his family get baptized. The next morning... Feeds them breakfast. And then right after breakfast, there's a knock on the jailer's door. What's he thinking? Uh Uh-oh, prisoners have escaped. I'm dead. No, no one escaped. The word comes to the jailer from the guys, the head guys, the pro-council. Release those men. They no longer need to be in jail. They found out they were Roman soldiers, or Roman citizens. You can't beat a Roman citizen without a trial, and they've done that. And Paul and Silas uh, say, hey, the jailer goes, hey, I'm not going to (laughs) die. And guess what? You guys are set free. And Paul and Silas says, we're not going. What do you mean you're not going? They're setting you free. No, let the pro-council come and lead us out and apologize first. Why'd they do that? Well, he's got... Believers in the city. Lydia, 
and others, and now this jailer. If they leave, they may make it hard on the believers. And so they say, hey, they went to Lydia's house, stayed a while. After these guys came and apologized and let them out, they stuck around just to make sure they weren't going to cause trouble for the church. Talk about a good shepherd, huh? Good guy, good guy. So the first two converts in Macedonia, it's a woman named Lydia and a Philippian jailer. That's amazing. Here's the word of the Lord from you. Researching my book has never been easier. Are you ready for God to speak to you right now? Google it. That's God's word. It's, it. it's, it. it's in here. you got to listen there. Number four. The fourth way you assimilate God's word is by... Did I say assimilate? Yeah, that's what I mean. Assimilate it is by remembering it. Colossians 3.16. This preacher's going along. Remember what Christ taught and let His Word enrich your lives and make you wise. Nothing is more powerful than having God's Word in you. If you participated at any time in your life in Bible Bowl, whether as a uh, young person or as an adult helping. Let me see your hands. Okay? okay? Beautiful. You know what you got in here right now? You've got God's Word. It's in you. And no one can take it away. It's yours. The Holy Spirit, that's why it's so important to memorize God's Word. The Holy Spirit can bring to your remembrance the things that you've remembered. See, the Bible says, and he will bring to your remembrance. But he can't bring to your remembrance if you don't get it in there, right? You can't remember something that's not in there. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm in a Bible study with somebody, how many verses come to my mind because I've memorized it. I've studied it. It's in here, and at just the right time, at just the right place, I remember that verse and I get the right result of someone giving their life to Christ. Say, well, I just can't memorize, Bruce. You know what I've learned in the past? People remember what's important to them. Man, you meet a pretty girl. Can I have your phone number? I got nothing to write it down on. Okay, just give it to me. When you're saying it, saying that all That's important to you. That's a pretty girl. I want to remember her name. And I've got I don't have my phone to put it in, so I just memorize it. Eh, you know how to memorize if it's important. Do you value the word of God? Enough to memorize it. When was the last time? Let me just ask a personal question. Don't see a show of hands. Don't want to hear what you've... When was the last time you memorized a verse from this book besides John 3.16? Okay? You're going, oh, it's been a while. You know, I, I teach a Bible study with a fella. You're going to meet him next week. Um, and I require that he memorize The Bible. I just started this about two weeks ago. I said, you know, it's time you, you move on. You've got to start memorizing God's Word. So I gave him a rather lengthy verse. And uh, during the middle of the week, I sent it again, to emailed it to him and said, hey, you ready? You're re I'm going to test you. Well, come Tuesday morning, I said, all right, lay it on me. Verbatim, word by word, perfect. He got it in there. And after the Bible study was all over, we prayed, and, he get, and we got a, I got up and was ready to leave. He said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Aren't you going to give me another verse? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to, I was going to, you know. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. I wasn't going anywhere. So I give him another verse. It's going to be interesting. Two verses. I'm going to do both of them this Tuesday when we get together. Got to keep it in there. I love that kind of thing. Here's the word of the Lord to you. Repetition, repetition, repetition. That's the way I learn, and that's the way most of us learn. Some have photographic memories. Most of us don't. Number five, by reflecting on God's word. Now, this goes beyond memorizing. The Bible calls it meditation. You say, well, I'm not sure I can meditate. Are you talking about that Eastern transcendental stuff? No, I'm not talking about that junk. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. What is worry? Think about it. Where you got a problem, and then you, you know, you're trying to go to sleep, and the problem comes in your mind, and you just go over it and over it, and over, you repeat that problem. You look at this scenario, that scenario, you think on it. Well, if you can worry, you can meditate. Watch this. It's the word reflect, actually. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying. What is he saying? His own made-up stuff? No, Paul was inspired. Paul wrote a letter that was inspired. The Word of God. Reflect on the Word of God, Timothy, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. When do you get the insight? When you simply memorize it? No. You get the insight when you reflect on it. When you meditate on it. And so really all meditation is, is taking a Word of God, the Word of God, and then going over it and over and over and saying, God, what, how does this speak to me? What is the insight you would have me to learn from this verse? It's meditating seriously on the Word of God. Joshua talks about it in, in 1.8. Do not let this book, that's the Bible, depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. How, how often? Day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now, here's the promise if you do this. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Well, who doesn't want to be prosperous? Who doesn't want to be successful? We all want those things. Those are two things we all want. So here's the word of the Lord to you. If you want to be successful, meditate on my word. Point number three. Number one, I accept it. Number two, I assimilate it. But number three, those first two aren't going to do me any good until I apply it. Right? You can know the Bible backwards and forwards and never use it, never apply it. It's not going to do you any good. D.L. Moody said, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. Amen? Until there's some change, what's the point? The ultimate goal of reading, studying, memorizing, meditating is change lives. And that's why I don't stand up here week after week and tell you the history of the Jebusites every Sunday. You know, it might be interesting stuff, but what I want to give you on Sunday, I want it to help you on Monday. I want you to say, oh, man, that was some good stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Monday, you put it into practice. That's the whole idea there. John 13, 17. Once you know these truths, you will be blessed if you, what's the very next word? Do them. Got to do it. James 1, Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And I love the way the Hebrew writer puts it in Hebrews 5, 11 and following. We have so much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Here was this, here was this group of Christians, just slow learners. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. I was talking to my class this morning. I said, you know what, guys? 
I am, I'm putting you on the fast track. The reason I'm teaching you all this stuff, it's important because the day's coming when I'm kicking you out of here. Why? Because I want you to start doing it, not just hearing it every week. And I want you guys to be my doers because with the next round of Upward, I want you guys to fill my class up for me. You know what it's like, and I may even let you come back for the first few classes and make them feel comfortable since you've invited them. But after that, kaboom, you're out of here, man. Go and teach those other classes at the church what you know because they don't know half of what you know. The new, new Christians learn more, I think, than the old Christians. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've been a Christian 20 years. How can you say that? Oh, really? Have you been a Christian 20 years, or have you been a Christian one year 20 times? Most Christians stop after the beginner class, right? The introduction to the Bible. How many books do I have? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New? 27. How do you break down the Old Testament? Five different ways. Well, there's the book of the law. Law was written by Moses. So they're learning all this stuff. My class can quote the Ten Commandments in order and what they mean. They can give you three definitions of the Third Commandment. I challenge them to go into the men's group and see if they can do that. Or the ladies' class, see if they can do that. That's going to happen. Now you're all going to start boning up. Good, good. I want that. But let's keep reading. Though by this time you ought to be teachers. Were they teachers? No, but they should have been. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths, the ABCs of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Milk's for babies. Come on, time to move on. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not um, acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant... Oh, what's this next word? What's the next word? You're right. I didn't highlight it, but it should be highlighted. By constant... There it is, right there. U-S-C. Use. What happens when you use it? Have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It does not say, by constant Bible study, you will train yourself. See, I have people all the time, Bruce, you need to teach a class on this. You need to teach a class. Their favorite hobby, you know what? Bruce, what I should teach. Oh, yeah, you've got to do it, Bruce. You've got to teach it. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, you guys know some stuff, but you're not putting it into use. And so I'm going to teach the basics, the elementary teachings, until you start using the elementary teachings. Once you finish with that, then we move on to the bigger stuff. Does that make sense? Now, some of you are beyond this, but some of you aren't. You're still in the basics. By constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. What's the mark of maturity? It's really, really simple. I start teaching others. I know if you're a mature Christian, if you're teaching others. If you're not teaching anyone else, you're just haven't arrived there, according to that verse. Nothing excites a preacher more than, number one, they know how to study. And where did you get that? Class 201. And nothing excites a preacher more then the 2.0 graduates moving on and completing 401, because what do you learn in 401? How to share your faith, how to lead others to Christ. You say, well, I haven't done those classes yet. Do those classes. Word of the Lord. It's not a how-to sermon. It's the Word of the Lord. Do those classes. How many have gone through 201? Let me see your hands. 
How many have gone through 401? Okay, almost as many. All right. For by reason of time, you should be teachers. Be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Get it? Good. Word of the Lord to you. Be doers of my word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may each of us accept the authority of your word and assimilate its truths into our lives by being doers of the word. God, I thank you for this church. Ah, good people here at Cross Point. I thank you for these people. I thank you that they love your word by the evidence of the fact that they come week after week and we all look at it and study it together. We thank you that your word is practical, that it's relevant, and it applies to our lives. Speak to each of us in a way that we need to be spoken to this morning. Holy Spirit, do your job right now. Make the word become real in our lives. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel. The best way to understand the Bible is to get to know the author first. You do that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ alone, repenting of your sins, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, and putting Him on His baptism. If you've not done that, today's your day to do it. Lord, thank you for your book. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to sing a song here. Uh, Some of you may need prayer this morning. I, I see your prayer requests each week. Some of you need a job. Some of you need a better job. Some of you need health issues. Some of you are dealing with family issues. Uh, we have a prayer room that is open to you. Uh, Luis and his wife, uh, Letty, is going to be in there in just a moment. If you need prayer, go in there. If you've never put your Lord on a baptism, uh, today's your day. Give me your hand and give Christ your heart, and we can put you on a baptism this morning. But you need to let us know. Do that right now as we stand and sing.